apologize about that. But anyway, we'll go ahead and open in prayer. Oh, wait, why don't you read Psalm 119, verse... Uh, uh, let's see here, where are we? Psalm 119. Give me one second. Psalm 119, starting in verse 25. 25. Deleth. Door. Move. Hang. Entrance. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Oh, wonderful stuff. Let me send that. And um, thank you for that. Hang on one second here. All right, got that. All right, let's say a prayer to open us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for getting the uh, streaming online at the last moment. And uh, thank you. Thank you that Sergio is available this afternoon. I know he's busy up in Kentucky. And uh, Lord, thank you for each person that's here. And uh, we pray for uh, anybody that uh, has a need today. If there's any stress in their life or any trials or troubles or if there's pains, we would pray for it. And uh, it's good to see Sandy here. She's uh, uh, looking well. And we thank you that she's continuing to get better day by day. And we continue to pray for her. And uh, we pray for safe travels for uh, Jim and Linda this weekend. And of course, anybody online that has a need or a trial, we pray for them as well. And uh, we thank you that they're there and that they're able to attend with us, and uh, you are so good to us, Lord. Anyway, uh, we're beginning a new book of the Bible, and we commit this time to you, and I would ask that you would help us not to mishandle your word in any way in the uh, uh, weeks, months, and maybe even year ahead, uh, that uh, we would uh, honor you with a, a study of the book of Romans, and it is truly a cherished book. It, it's wonderful to even consider. And uh, thank you that the book of Acts is uh, ended and that uh, it went so well. And, and uh, we just pray for the same with the book of Romans. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we do exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Hedico will be here in a while and she's going to bring mangoes for everybody. These, don't, don't touch those. Those are Tom Alley's. And um, they're for somebody that he specifically asked for. So, um, but Hedico brings some uh, mangoes. And then before you leave today, we've got a cake in back for the Book of Acts to celebrate. And I tried to get it last week, but you have to have 48 hours notice to get a cake with a picture on it. And then this one has got a picture of Paul meeting the Lord Jesus on it. So uh, anyway, um, there you go. Um, okay, so we're going to be in the Book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 here in a minute. And um, Question? Yes, go ahead. Uh, so can I assume that Acts ends off, he's in Rome. He's in Rome. This was written? No. This was written to the Romans while we were in the book of Acts. Okay. This is about three years earlier. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Uh, um, but it's a logical place for Romans to be, and we'll do that. Now, there were a couple things that I want to say about the book of Acts. The first one is I had a question uh, brought up just a moment ago, and I want to make sure we get these out of the way. Um, he asked about uh, religio licita, uh, the re Christian religion being legitimate at the time of the Roman Empire, and he says... Who would that be competing against? And it wasn't competing against anybody. Rome would go in and conquer a country, and they would uh, allow that country, if their religious practices were not contrary to Rome, to be practiced. 
And so all over the Roman Empire, anybody that had their own religion, it was sanctioned by Rome. It was called religio licita, or religio licita, actually. Anyway, it meant that it was a valid religion, and it could be uh, uh, worshipped, or uh, you know, you could uh, be a part of that religion unhindered. Okay, and that's why when you're going through the book of Acts, you see all these people with these different religions. You've got the Athena, you know, the, the statue of Athena or Artemis, and you've got these people here. And yeah, all these different religions, they are allowed under Roman law. Christianity, the, the purpose of Acts basically is to show that Christianity was a legal religion by default because it came under the auspices of the Jewish religion. And the Jews were perpetually trying to say, this has nothing to do with us. And Paul, throughout the book of Acts, was shown that it is a valid religion. And because we are worshiping the same God, it is the fulfillment of our prophecies. And so that's what was going on there. It's not that it was competing with anybody. It's that it was simply establishing Christianity under the greater umbrella of the, the uh, Jewish religion. Because it is. It was the Jewish faith that was leading to their Messiah. Christ is the fulfillment of that. Even if the law is set aside in Christ, that was not something that Rome was concerned with. And we see that all the way through the book of Acts. And, you know, procurators and uh, uh, town leaders again and again said, this is your problem, Jews. You go handle this yourself. And that was found even by the, uh, uh, the court in uh, Caesarea and then eventually went to Rome and that was validated. And so Christianity was considered a, a valid religion. So this is political reality of Noah's curse. Uh, Living in the tent. Well, yes, and that we'll talk about that today. It, it, it falls into that. That is correct. It, because uh, not so much it is the pr political reality of it, but it, it, it goes a little bit off to the side of that. But yes, that's correct. It is allowed, and because it's allowed, it became an established religion throughout the world. And eventually it was considered separate than, from Judaism, but actually it's not if you look at it. This is one unified whole. It is God progressively revealing himself through these scriptures. But um, uh, another question I had, somebody emailed me last week, I talked about baptism, and I'm not going to go through that at all today. But I said one thing about you don't have to repent in order to be saved. And I think it was a lady, she said, well, you know, how can that be? I, that doesn't make any sense. Repentance is something that people misunderstand. The word repentance comes from the Greek metanoia. It means to change your mind. If you've never heard about Jesus, then there's nothing to change your mind about. All you do is you say, oh, I want what is being presented to me. Sin is something you deal with after salvation, not before. Okay? If you have heard of Jesus and you've rejected that message, then you would need to repent of your rejection of Jesus and you would need to change your mind and go in the other direction. Now I'm going to follow this person that I now believe in. All right, And that is why in Acts chapter 2, Peter said, Repent! Be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't get that in Acts chapter 8 or in Acts chapter 10, because there was nothing to repent of. They heard the word, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came down on them, particularly Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 8 was a little different. But anyway, repentance is not turning away from sin at the beginning. Repentance that Peter was talking about was turning away from rejecting their Messiah. Okay, Repentance after salvation would be changing your mind about sin. But the way to think about this is that if you are sick, 
You don't say, I am going to go to the doctor after I get myself well. You say, I need to go to the doctor so that he can heal me. And that is what we need to do when we tell somebody about Jesus. You have a sickness. It's called sin. You're infected with it. Christ can forgive you of that, and he can lead you back to God because of what he did, his work. There's nothing you need to repent of. What you need to do is you need to call on Christ. And then after calling on Christ, you have this book. This is doctrine. This is what tells you, don't do this thing. I exhort you to do that thing. I command to do this thing. These are the things that come after salvation. But the Bible's very clear. The um, All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. After that, all you need to know is you will be saved. Nothing about repentance in there. Never. It's never mentioned. After you're saved, then you can go ahead and you can make your move of repentance. All right? So, that I wanted to clear that up because people misunderstand it. And it's because of people like Ray Comfort that say you need to repent of your sins. And, and, and all that does is confuse the issue of salvation. You talk about that after they're saved, not before. Because all of a sudden they're thinking, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And I'm going to give you an example of this now from today's, um, this is, it goes into the back, um, it's Table Talk, it's R.C. Sproul's uh, magazine that uh, Table Talk comes out every month and I get it, it's my daily devotional that I read every day of my life, it's Reformed Theology, all right, it is, uh, they, they are uh, replacement theologians, they believe that the church has replaced Israel, but I want to read this so that, and then after that we'll get into a discussion on the book of Romans, but um, uh, of whom the Son of Man will be ashamed is the title of today's thing. All right, and then they quote Mark 8, 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. So he goes through this long thing. You can see it's, it's a full devotional uh, about what I would type on Ephesians. Maybe mine is a little bit longer. But um, uh, he says, um, I'm just going to have to read the whole thing so I don't cut you short on this. Deeply rooted in our conscience is the desire for our parents to not be ashamed of us. It's a very great analogy that he starts out with. So much, so much do we long to avoid their, uh, their being ashamed that we find the words we're proud of you from our parents to be among the most encouraging and treasured words we could ever imagine. Whether we are 4 or 45, we long to know that our mothers and fathers are not ashamed of us. Everybody agree with that? Sure. If your parents say, I'm really proud of you, you feel good about that. When they say, I'm really disappointed in you, every one of us was disappointed in ourselves. So he's making an, uh, a comparison to our Heavenly Father and us. All right, he goes through it. I'm to the end of it. Um, he says, um, Christ in today's passage refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is a title he uses for himself more than any other in the Gospels. Um, it's true, and it's mostly in the book of uh, Luke. But we will look at this title more in the chapters of Mark that still lie ahead of us. We note that the Son of Man is a title of highest glory, referring ultimately to Jesus' prerogative of being the king and judge over all. Um, it is a title that finally refers to his character as the God-man. Basically, Jesus is saying that to be ashamed of him and his call to be ashamed of God, therefore Christ, who is God incarnate, will repay the favor on the last day. He will be ashamed to call us his people. And if the Lord is ashamed to call us his people, we cannot truly be his people and will not inherit eternal life. All right? Um, let me go on before I ask you your opinion on this. Those who are impenitently ashamed of him in this world are those who he has never known. Matthew 7, 21. That Christ will be ashamed of us if we are ashamed of him does not mean one instance of being ashamed of him disqualifies us as his people. Peter, after all, was so ashamed of Jesus that he denied the Lord before others. But Jesus forgave Peter when he repented. 
Therefore, let, uh, let us therefore repent of where we have been ashamed of Christ so that we may be forgiven and pers persevere in the faith until the very end. Okay, that's his commentary. What is the problem with his commentary? And this is, you're going to find this always in the, book, the Table Talk well, magazine. I have to say that he must be talking about somebody who's already been saved. Okay, that's where it gets convoluted. Right. You would assume that he's talking about somebody that's already been saved. Mm -hmm. But his words don't say that, and there's a reason why. It's because who did he cite? No, no, no. He cited Jesus from from the old from from the, the gospels. Right, Jesus under Jesus. the Old Testament. He's speaking to the Jews about what is going on under the law. Okay, and that's why when you hear people say, um, "Let us hope that we stand worthy, be counted worthy before the Son of God." Everybody knows the verse I'm talking about, and I misquoted it. But I pray that you will be counted worthy uh, when the Son of Man comes. Right. You hear people cite that all the time. I had somebody cite that on the Superior Word Facebook page this past week, along with some other verses. It's completely out of context. In Jesus, we hear the message, and we believe, and we receive the Holy Spirit. It is a done deal. When you reinsert the Gospels, and I'm talking about particularly the Synoptic Gospels, which, as we saw last week, John is unique, and I'm going to go through that again, because a lot of people emailed me and asked me to go through it. I will. We'll do that maybe today, maybe when we get to a certain portion in Romans. But when you reinsert Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels into your theology, you have bad theology. And that's why Reformed theology does not work, is because it is not dispensational in nature. It doesn't say Jesus is speaking to the Jews under the law. It doesn't say that Paul is writing to the Gentiles after Christ was crucified and resurrected. And so they are taking these two dispensations, completely different contexts, and they're putting them together. How many times in this room have you heard uh, no man knows the day or hour speaking of the rapture? Everybody here, every, every head is nodding. Have you heard that more than once? Have you heard it a thousand times? Okay. It has nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing. Jesus was speaking, yes, it was speaking to Israel under the law at the Mount of Olives. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it has nothing to do with the rapture. Matthew 24 has nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing. Now, you can find a pre-tribulation rapture in there. I have no problem with that. But what he is saying is not written to, uh, it, it was recorded, but it is not spoken to the Gentile church. It's speaking to Israel when they are going to go through their seven years of tribulation. If you compare Matthew 24 with the tribulation period, it makes sense because that's something that will happen after the rapture. What I'm trying to tell you is that we have to take things in context. All right? And so when that lady, and I'm bringing this back because it was a question from last week, when that lady asked about repentance, and she says that doesn't seem to make any sense, it's because we are taught things that are not correct. Repentance means to change your mind. You can't repent of your sins until you're saved by your... Grace in order to be saved and then you turn from your sins. It's a logical step. I will never tell somebody, and I never have told somebody, you don't need to turn from your sins. That's never been said in this church. 
people have said that because I start a thought about you don't need to repent in order to be saved. They get angry, they turn me off, they defriend me, and then they send me a nasty message saying that you tell people you don't need to turn from your sins. I've never said that. If they went three minutes later in my discussion, they would hear that I say you need to turn from these things. I say it every prophecy update. Homosexuality is a perversion before God. Doing the things contrary to the Bible is a perversion before God. The churches that teach wrong theology are misusing God's word. So please make sure that as we go into the book of Romans, you understand that the box is dispensational after Christ's um, crucifixion and resurrection. It is Paul writing to the Gentile church, and we don't insert Reformed theology into the book of Romans. If we do, we will come up with error. Okay, yes? Even from the beginning in the Old Testament, uh, God alone provided this. Always! Sacrifice. He provided the God sacrifice. Always. Every single this. sermon that we have yeah. done in Exodus, yeah. every one of them, you're all not here on uh, uh, Genesis and Exodus, yeah. you're not here on Sunday, so you don't hear the sermons. Every single sermon, you will see the grace of Christ in there. Every one of them. The law is not of works. People it say it's works us. plus it's grace plus works. There is no such thing as grace plus works. It's either grace or it's works. Okay? Convicts us of our sin, need for a savior. That's what the law was intended to do. It was to show that people cannot be saved by that law, and the day of atonement shows us that. The day of atonement proves that the law was of grace because everybody had to go down to Jerusalem and they had to confess their sins. And that shows that they knew that they were sinners and they needed God's grace. So even the law itself is a law of grace. It is something that God told them to do, just like the New Testament tells us to do something. But in the end, it comes to the same thing. Our atonement happened at the cross, and from there, we confess our sins, we sanctify, we you know grow in holiness. But we have to get our boxes straight. So I wanted to get that cleared up. We're going to get into Romans now. I'm going to make just a real short commentary. You know, we could talk about it all month about what the book of Romans is doing. But it logically follows as the first epistle after the book of Acts. And I went through that last week, and maybe we'll go through it today. We may not again, but it's very interesting. A lot of people ask me to do it again. It is recorded on YouTube, but my handwriting, if you saw, I was rushing to get that done, was bad. I had a guy actually call me from South Carolina and ask me, you know, where did you get that from? And I said, well, that's just my own thoughts coming out of the Bible when I was doing the Genesis sermons. When I got to Noah's prophecy, I realized that this makes a structure for the entire rest of the Bible. Anyway, and then I had people uh, email me, etc., and say, you know, one lady down in Trinidad I think it was her. Um, I got a lot of emails this week, but one lady says, I had to watch that six times because, I, I think she said six. I don't want to, anyway, she said, I had to watch that again and again because I wanted to understand what you're saying. And so I'll try to make it clearer at this time. And it may be today, it may be next week, but you have the, the Old Testament, you've got the Gospels showing the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Christ's work on our behalf. He dies. Uh, in fulfillment of the law, and then naturally you have the book of Acts to show the establishment of what God is now doing. The Jews have, in the book of Acts, rejected Jesus. Not wholly, but, you know, as, as a nation. It's, it's evident from the book of Acts that the nation of Israel is going to reject their Messiah as a nation, and the dispensation is going to go to the church age, the Gentile-led church age. And we know that. We know that even from Jesus' words when he said, and I quote this quite often, but keep this in context. Jesus was speaking to Israel. He rode into the um, Jerusalem. 
and he wept over it. He was on the donkey, Mount of Olives, he wept over Jerusalem, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, and uh, I, I, I misquote that a little bit, how, but anyway, he says, um, uh, how I've longed to gather you uh, as a uh, hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. I tell you, um, you shall see me no more until you say, until you say, Baruch Habab Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He quoted their scripture saying that until you say this as a nation, I will not return to you. So it's up to the Jews for Christ to return physically to this earth. It has nothing to do with the rapture, and all of Matthew 24 is directed to the Jews in Israel. Okay. Um, uh, having said that, we have the rejection of the Messiah by the Jews. It's demonstrated in the book of Acts, and then we go logically into Romans. Even though it was written three years earlier before the end of the book of Acts, it is written to the Romans, and so that takes us to the structure of Acts once again. And I'm not going to go through all of it. Unfortunately, we can't. Um, that's why we were in the book of Acts for two and a half years. But I'm going to read you some things after he reads Romans 1.1. Go ahead. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, Okay, we got two verses there, so it may we may not get to the second one today. But anyway, um, he got to read too. So um, okay, now these are some opening comments, and then um, after this, I, I will. We got time. I will go through that Bible pattern again. But the Book of Acts started where? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Okay, it started with Christ ascending. The Book of Acts ended where? In Rome. In Rome. Okay, so we might as well do this. Let me get out my eraser. We, I didn't er erase the hymns from last week. And we've got uh, this week's sermon is going to be 15 through, I'm not sure what, but anyway, 15 through, it's like 31 or something. I don't know. That may not be right. Sorry. And that'll be part two. Okay. Um, uh let me read you my first comments, and then we'll go through this. Christ the Lord has come and is revealed to us in the four gospel accounts. Okay? I just said that. You have the Old Testament. You have the, the uh, law. It's introduced, which we're going through. We've been going through it for about 78 sermons, 79 sermons. Is The law is showing us you know, what God expects of the people of Israel. All right? Then, after all of that time from, uh, um, from Genesis, which is a part of the law because it was recorded on Mount Sinai, from Genesis all the way through to 2 Chronicles, which is the way the Jewish scriptures are written. It goes from Genesis to 2 Chronicles, whereas ours goes from Genesis to what? Malachi, okay? Anyway, they're organized or structured differently, but anyway, all of this time, it's showing that they cannot meet this law. They were exiled. They go uh, uh, back into the land. They still can't be obedient to the Lord. The very end of the book of uh um, of the Old Testament, it says, you know, you need to get ready. He's coming. And he says, what does the Old Testament end on? A curse. It says, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. Are you talking about Malachi? Malachi, about, okay. right? It ends on a curse. God's word doesn't end on a curse. The Old Testament of God's word does. It says that if you don't get ready, the land will be stricken with a curse. They rejected him, and guess what happened? The land was... Uh, stricken with a curse, and off went the Jews into exile for 2,000 years. And it is very precise. They were exiled for 70 years to the day 
they were exiled the second time for exactly 2,520 years from the beginning of the first exile, just so you know this, um, to the day. It's very precise. It comes out to 907,200 days, exactly when they were returned to Israel on 14 May of 1948. All right, 48. And then 19 years later, which is 19 years later after the fall of Jerusalem in the Bible, recorded in Jeremiah on 7 June of 1967, they also got Jerusalem back. God is doing something in the world with the Jews right now. But during that time where they were exiled from AD 70 until for rejecting their Lord, until they were reestablished, and now they're getting ready for something. But anyway, during that time, it's been the Gentile-led church age. That is winding down. We've got to be getting close to the end of that. Let me go ahead and erase this, and I'll keep the eraser over here. Anyway, um, uh, let me see where I am. Christ the Lord has come, and it's revealed to us in the four Gospels. Okay, the Old Testament shows they failed. The four Gospels says Christ came, especially the three uh, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Christ came. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. Okay, this is what... God said I would do. I'm going to take care of this problem. I've spent all of this 1,500 years showing you that there's a problem and it's not getting resolved. I'm doing this, as Paul says, as a tutor to lead you to my son. He calls it a tutor in the, the book of Galatians. The law was simply there to show Israel and the world that they could not meet God's standards. They needed something more. So Christ has come. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a little bit different. We will talk about that That. Uh, pattern. We'll go through it one more time today, which we went through last week. All right. Uh, what was veiled and prefigured in the Old Testament is revealed and realized in the New. Everything that we've seen, and I, you know, I typed another sermon on Monday, and there's another 200 pictures of Christ. Every single sermon that we do, picture after picture after picture of Jesus. It, it, you know, and there's a word will get introduced. It's just, you know, ABC. This word gets introduced into the Bible at a certain point, and then you see it five times and you never see it again. And you say, why would God use this word? Because ten other words are translated the same as this. It's because he is using that word as a picture of Christ. Every single sermon in Exodus, every single sermon in Genesis, and we did a diversion into Ruth, 13 sermons of Ruth, every word points to what God is doing in Christ. Everything. He's selecting words to show us things. He's selecting pictures of things to show us. The, the sacrifices, pretty nifty so far. Part one, right? Part two, I'm practicing it this week, and I'm thinking, I know Burke is going to love this because the sacrifices are in a perfect order. You've got a bull for the sacrifice of Aaron and his sons, and then after that you have a ram, and they do a certain thing, and then you have another ram, and they're in order because they show us the, the, the order of our salvation. They show us the order of what we are to do, and it's all right there. What is concealed in the old is revealed in the new. Everything that we want to know about Christ we can get right out of the old, but we would never know it until we see Christ and we go back and we say, God has already shown us pictures of it in the Old Testament. So, you know, I, I, I just, I'm a, a huge proponent of studying the Old Testament. And, you know, it's not like we're not um, uh, uh, participating in, uh, uh, it's not like we're not participating in uh, the New Testament every week. Some people say, well, you know, why do you get into the Old we quote how many times in one sermon in the New Testament? 25 times? I mean, it just continuously, because this looks at this, okay? Once again, what was veiled and prefigured in the Old Testament is revealed and realized in the New. After the Gospel narratives, four Gospels, okay, you have the book of Acts is introduced. 
it shows the development of the church from its infancy to the point where it was ready to replace Israel as a light to the nation during Israel's second exile. That is what Acts is showing us. Is It's why is God using the Gentiles and how did that come about? Well, it's because of the pattern that's revealed in the book of Acts. It's helping, it's a time of growth for the Gentiles so that they can now grab the mantle of Christ and carry it during the time of uh, the Jews' rejection. Now, if you're a replacement theologian and you're watching this, you say, well, you know, they're out, and I just reject that entirely. Romans 9 through 11, of course you're reading it wrong because you believe that the church has replaced Israel. Then, of course, you're going to come at those three chapters with a presupposition uh, that this doesn't say what it says when it is as clear as the nose on your face. Amen. So we have to be very careful about Romans 9 through 11, and we'll get there. Um, it won't be today, but... Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, it shows the development of the church from its infancy to the point where it's ready to replace Israel. Israel is out there under punishment. Thank God that God is faithful even to his unfaithful people. He's kept his promises and he has put them back in the land. They are there. They are not the Edomites. They're not some group of people that isn't Jewish. They are Jewish people. They are there because God has placed them there. There are so many, so many people that try to diminish what Israel is about right now because their theology for the past 2,000 years has told them we are the center of God's focus. And because of that, they do anything possible to diminish who is in Israel and what they're doing there right now. That is completely wrong. God is faithful even to his unfaithful people. Israel in the land is Israel of old, and they are back there to meet God's purposes. Okay? Um, in the book of Acts, an immense amount of information and structure is given to show us things uh, transition from the early Jewish church to the predominantly led Gentile church would carry the spiritual banner of the message of Jesus Christ for the next 2,000 years. At the beginning of Acts, we went through those patterns. Remember, there were, there were hundreds of them, hundreds of patterns in the book of Acts which so clearly show us what is going on. I'm going to go through one. It's going to take a while to get through it, but I'm going to go through one pattern. We had hundreds. I showed you the charts. I showed you all of the, the information that God has encoded in the book of Acts to show us without a doubt what is going on and why he's doing these things. We can't go through it again, and unfortunately we weren't recording them at the time. But wonderful stuff in the book of Acts, and I'm sorry that the people online missed that. But um, we have, um, uh, as incredible as it seems, this handing over the banner to the Gentiles was prophesied in the blessing Noah pronounced upon his sons Shem and Japheth in Genesis 9, 26, and 27. <coughs> I hope it's okay with you here that I redo that from last week. Okay, does anybody have a problem with that? Because if we do, we won't do it. Okay, good. Um, it's good to have you here, Sandy. And does anybody know where Paul is? Nope. Okay, he's not here, and I hope they're okay. He's been working really hard lately, and I hope he hasn't overdone it. Um, uh, they're getting a house ready for somebody. Anyway, um, okay, so I'm going to just, this is going to be very quick again, but maybe a little better handwriting than last week because I just want people to see, let me put this in Romans here, I want people to see um, uh, the pattern that is in there. And like I say, I'm sorry that we're going through something two times in two weeks, but I'd that rather needed, have it that way than... That needed twice. It, it, okay, well, and you know, Paul's not here and he asked me, we went to breakfast this week and... Uh, uh, he asked me, can you do that again? And now he's not here, so he's going to have to watch online because I'm not doing this a third time. But um, if I ask you, will, I bet. They what? If I ask you, will, I bet. No, well, yeah, but it'll be a, it, it won't be right away. It'll be a while before I do this again. This is Noah. After the flood, they get out of the ark. Uh, Noah makes a, uh, 
uh, an offering, which we're going to see, that offering, once again, that same type of offering, which hasn't been seen since I think it's verse 21. Yeah, verse 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Hasn't been said until this coming sermon this week, right here. And we're going to go through that. Why does God use those particular words? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, he made his offering. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. He says, well, earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He has made a promise. It never has ceased. It never will cease because he's made that promise. But after that, <coughs> if we get into chapter 9, and um, uh, the Lord uh, gives them every moving thing. I just want to say this for people that... They need to get their doctrine right on this one, especially. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Okay? Just as I have given you the uh, green, uh, uh, given, uh, I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. There is no prohibition in Scripture as to what we can and cannot eat. And I'm talking about the Gentile church. There's no script prohibition anywhere in Scripture. God said this to Noah. And then he selected a group of people at the time of Abraham. We're going to put them here, Israel. The rest of the world continued on. Unchanged. The only thing that happened is God introduced a law here which dealt with the people of Israel. Okay? Where is that, Charlie? Where is that? That's, uh, Genesis 9, verse uh, 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. There's no thing on this planet, herb or animal, that you are prohibited from eating. Nothing. Okay? If you disagree with that, I'm sorry for you because that is what the Bible says. The Gentiles were never put under that. They are not under the law. The law is explicitly said three times in the Bible, in the book of uh, uh, Hebrews. It says that it is annulled, it is set aside, it is obsolete. And then it says it implicitly another 15 times. The law is done. It is fulfilled in Christ. Yes? What about Poisonous foods. Well, of course you don't want to eat poisonous foods, but he's saying anything that you can eat, eat. So, absolutely. He's not saying to do something. He's saying that nothing is prohibited from you. I've given you all things. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, having said that, we have the entire Gentile uh, uh, dispensation has never changed. We have never been given a prohibition. We do not go back and reinsert the law. Galatians shows us that. It is absolutely clear. The rest of the New Testament, I'm talking about Paul's writings, show this as well. We are not under the law in any precept. The law is fulfilled and it is annulled. Okay? Any precept in the New Testament from Paul's hand, because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, apostle to the Gentiles, right? Mm -hmm. If it's from Paul's hand and we are prohibited from it or we are mandated to do it, then that is our marching orders. Nothing else. Does anybody here disagree with that? No. Okay. That is, I, I have no problem with you disagreeing, but I have a problem with you thinking that, and I will, you know, work with you on that. But there is nothing in the law. And the people, hang on a sec, the people that want to reintroduce the law never follow the law. They say you can't eat pork. You can't do this and you can't do that. And yet they wear clothes with two types of material in it. They don't go to Jerusalem. <laughs> they don't sacrifice. And let me tell you what, the very first thing that, God said is you are going to sacrifice morning and evening, and if you don't do this, it doesn't say that, but if you don't do this, you're violating the law. They do not sacrifice morning and evening, and yet that is a primary consideration within the law. And I could go through a hundred other things right off the top of my head. What's that? After the temple was torn down, they didn't sacrifice. That's right. Even there's no temple. There's no temple to go to. You can't meet the requirements of the law. You're under punishment. 
why would you want to go back and try to observe a law which is annulled? Paul says it in Colossians 2.14. It is nailed to the cross. We are dead to sin because of it. Go ahead. What did you have? Um, it's a little corny, but the British, they eat uh, in some time in, in Asian cultures, uh, uh, like blood pudding. Yes. Okay. That, that, that is one thing that I, I would be careful with. The Bible does talk about blood. Don't eat with blood. That is repeated in the book of Acts. It is um, given as an early prescription to the uh, early church. Paul never repeats it. I don't think that you would in any way be, um, uh, you know, in the wrong by eating that blood pudding and all that stuff that well, they eat. Me. I, yeah, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that I, if somebody asked me, I would say it's one of the things that is said outside of the law. In other words, the life is in the blood. You should, and so because of that, and that goes all the way back to the time of Noah, I would personally refrain from blood of any type. Okay? But having said that, it's not going to keep you from being saved. You were saved by grace through faith. You believe in Jesus. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So whatever you do after that goes into rewards and losses. It does not go into salvation. Okay? But, all right, we have... There are no prohibitions on anything you eat. If people don't want to agree with me, that's fine. Go back under the law, do whatever you want. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? Um, here's what he says in Genesis 9, verse 6. I can't tell you how many precepts of the law must be fulfilled in order to make God happy under the law that people aren't doing, even when they tell you you can't eat pork or when they say you got to observe this feast day or whatever. And even if they observe a feast day, they don't do it according to the precepts of the Bible. So it's a completely convoluted uh, system. The Hebrew Roots Movement, the Messianic Movements that reinsert the law. Oh, that's you. Um, okay, um, anyway, so here's what he says. After uh, that, but you shall not eat flesh with its uh, life, that is the blood. Okay, so that was said to Noah, and that doesn't really change throughout the Bible. So I would be a, a uh, uh, I would warn people not to go drinking blood. That's the life. And what it is, it's going to lead to idolatry. It's going to lead you into a point of saying, I am getting the power of this animal into me. And that's what, you know, I'm over at the Thai restaurant. That's what my friends used to do. They used to sit around and drink the blood, and they said, yeah, it's good for you. And, you know, you take its essence and all that. And, you know, do anything. But that's what it leads to. I would, it's one thing that I would suggest people don't do. Other than that, though, eating any animal is not forbidden. It never has been. It never will be since the time of Noah. But here we go. I'm going to go on. Uh, surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. What's happening with the, the liberals in uh, the world right now? They want abortion. They want to murder. They want to murder. They want to murder. But murderers, they don't want to have executed. They are, it, the, the society is going upside down. That God says, I demand a reckoning for your lifeblood. If you kill man, by man shall your blood be shed. And everything that is contrary to Scripture... The left in this nation is assuming as their mantle. They're putting it into the platform one year after another. And I'm just saying, not just the, the left in America, I'm talking about all over the world. The liberal progressive mindset is anti-God in anything they can do to violate this book, they will. And that is what's happening. If you shed man's blood, by man shall your blood be shed. Criminals are supposed to be executed if they take a life. And they, they want that completely taken out. That is their stand. Okay, so I want you to know that. It says, um, um, uh, by his blood. Okay, then uh, let me go on here. It says, um, uh, I, okay, he went through all of that in Genesis chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just wanted to set that up. But 
What happens now is in chapter 9, Noah is doing something. He's, uh, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say he's doing something. He plants a vineyard, okay? It says, but um, uh, I might as well read you the whole thing there. The rainbow is the sign of the promise. Verse um, 18, now the sons of Noah who were out of the ark, which were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? It mentions Shem first, even though Japheth is the oldest, okay? (laughs) Once again, you have this pattern which goes all the way through Scripture where the second replaces the first. You see it all the way through Scripture. Perez over um, his brother, uh, uh, oh boy, now I can't remember his name. Anyway, um, uh, and you've got Jacob over Esau. You've got um, uh, Abraham over his brother uh, Nahor, who is the older, and uh, uh, or maybe Haran. I'm sorry, Haran. Anyway, you've got uh, always, again and again, you've got the wife, um, the, the second wife, um, what's her name, Rachel over Leah. And you just see it all the time. It's God showing us a picture of Christ uh, replacing Adam. Adam fell, Christ is... And each time you see this pattern, it's showing that the second is being chosen over the first. It's God's divine election saying, I'm going to do something. It's, oh, uh, another one, Isaac over Ishmael. Anyway, they're all through there. You'll see it, um, David, King David, the second over the first, Saul. All right, God is sovereignly making his choices, divine election. Anyway, let me go on. Um, and Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank wine and was drunk. Became uncovered in his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. He does not curse his younger son, Ham. Instead, he curses his son's son, Canaan. Why? Because God had already blessed them. If you go back here, it says... Um, uh, where was it? Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to find it really quickly. I don't want to waste the time on there. But anyway, God had already blessed them. And because he blessed them, it would be wrong for Noah to curse the son that was blessed by God. And so instead he cursed his son. And anyway, I won't. I, that's the reason why he did that, but I won't because I'm not going to find it quickly and I don't want to waste all the night tonight. But he said, cursed be Canaan. And so that means all of the descendants of Canaan You've got Canaan, that leads to Mitzrayim, which is um, uh, Egypt, and you've got um, uh, the sons of Heth, and you've got you know all the people that descend from Canaan, which includes the Chinese, by the way, they're under that cursed line. That does not mean, and I'm not trying to say it, I want, you know, if I say something, somebody always comes back and says, well, you said, I need to qualify that. In Christ, all curses are lifted, okay? I want you to understand that because here I'm saying that you know the, the Egyptians, Mitzrayim, and the, the Chinese sin, the, the son of uh, uh, Canaan became, you know, we have Sino American relations. We used to hear about that under, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Nixon, thank you. And that, that's Sino comes from the son, sin. Okay, and so you know how the world is broken up by looking at the table of nations in chapter 10. I'm not going to get into it, go watch the sermons, and I, I broke it all down. But every curse is lifted in Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. That's why Ezekiel, uh, won't get into it now, Ezekiel 18 talks about, um, you know, if the son turns from what the father did and if the father turns and does this, curses are lifted in Christ, okay? Generational curses end in Christ. Let me qualify that because somebody else is going to come along and say something on this. If you are a loser, okay, you come to Christ, Right? You were a drug addict your whole life, and your children were uh, under you until you came to Christ. 
Do you think that they are going to have that curse lifted on them? No. They have grown up under you. They have assumed the traits of their parents. We are responsible for our children. In other words, uh, just because you are freed of your curse in Christ, whatever it is, whether it's alcoholism or whether it's drugs or pornography or whatever, if you are freed from that, but you've been teaching that to your children your whole life, unless they come to Christ, they're going to follow the same pattern. That's why generally when you have a, a preacher and he has children, they generally grow up to be preachers, right? Because you, they have is instilled in them values. When you have a, a businessman that doesn't cheat his business partners, the children grow up to be businessmen that don't cheat their partners. But when you're a loser of whatever kind, and you raise your children in that capacity, the chances are that they're going to be a loser. So I need to qualify these things because then I get emails from people that say, but you said, I'm sorry to divert on this so much, but one thing always leads to another. Anyway, this is what he said. Cursed be Cain and a servant of servants. He's going to be, or, you know, some Bible, you know, this is kind of making it not sound so bad. Some Bibles say what instead of servant? Slave. slave, thank you. A slave of slaves he will be. Okay? All right? Then you have, um, and he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem is the second son, but he is, we're going to put Shem and Japheth here. He blesses Shem. He says, and may Canaan be his servant or slave, okay? Well, guess what? We saw that all the way through um, through um, uh, the Old Testament. Remember what happened with Joshua? He didn't make the, uh, the um, uh, he didn't check with the Lord. He made a uh, treaty with the Gibeonites, right? And what did he do? He couldn't kill them. He made a covenant with them. So what did he do? He made them slaves. That's right. So, And we see this all the way through the Old Testament. They were slaves to them. And this has gone on because this is what God said would happen. All right? And then he said, um, May God uh, enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Once again, we have servanthood being applied to Japheth. All right? Now, let me erase that. I'm almost done with my first piece of chalk. We're getting down on it. I'm going to have to get another one. I'm so cheap, I've got a whole box full of them, like this big. I've got enough chalk to last us until, until the rapture, and certainly a thousand years afterward, but I keep using this little thing. Um, anyway, um, and I do have another one that's almost done too, but that's for the various colors. Anyway, um, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. What does that mean? And we talked about that last week, but I want people to understand this. He says, may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Shem was given the preeminent blessing. He was giving the spiritual blessing. And from Shem, we have, from Shem comes Israel. But guess what? From Shem also come all of these other religions, like um, uh, Islam comes from, you know, the sons of Ishmael and all this. So you have, you've got Islam over there. You've got these, these uh, great religions of the world. It's the spiritual side of the blessing. God gave him the preeminent blessing, the spiritual blessing. Okay, so because we have this spiritual blessing, Shem is the one to carry the spiritual banner. And that goes on from the time of Genesis. As I said, Genesis was received on Mount Sinai. And so even though it predates the law, it is a part of the law. Everybody understand that? Genesis and uh, early Exodus are a part of the law, even though they predate the law. And uh, just so you know, Genesis through Malachi is what we would call the law. The law actually is just... You know, it's Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, 
numbers in Deuteronomy are comprised the time of the law basically and then after that is all the prophets and you've got the uh, historical books and all that but all of this is what we would call the law and Jesus would call it the law and the prophets or the law and the Psalms or the prophets and the Psalms there are different terms for it used in the New Testament but they all mean this one time it is the law from Genesis to Malachi this is all who is in charge of this entire time in God's workings What's that? Shem. Shem is entirely in charge of this entire dispensation. From the time of Noah all the way down from, uh, yeah, from Noah blessing Shem, Shem is the focus of the entire thing. Other people are brought in, other people do things, but it's all Shem. Okay, so we have, this is the time of the law. Genesis to Malachi. Then after that is introduced, we, I talked about this at the beginning. The law is a something to lead us to who? Tutor. Tutor to lead us to Christ. That's all that this was, was God working out through three separate dispensations. You had conscience, I'm sorry, you had innocence, conscience, um, government, four dispensations, and then the law. God is revealing progressively to mankind what he cannot do. It's impossible. He gave him one commandment. It was in the negative. Don't do this one thing. Right? He created the man and the woman. They had intimate fellowship. It was paradise on earth. Everything that they could ever imagine was there. They had fellowship with God face to face. He came walking in the garden, so it implies that he did it before. They knew it. They were hiding. If they were hiding, that means they knew he was coming, so they had that fellowship before. They had no hint of nakedness. They were just, they were, they were innocent in God's eyes. Right. And so what happens? He says, there's one thing I don't want you to do. They have all of heaven's riches there in front of them, and they go straight to the one thing that they can't have. Okay, And that is the problem with man ever since. It is ingrained in us that we want to go to the one thing that we cannot have. If we are, are married to a wonderful woman, guess what? We may drive down the road and say, I'd rather have that over there. Not because it's, it's something that we're going to do. It's just something that's ingrained in us. We say, you know, I really like this mango here, but that one over there looks better. I think I'm going to go take that, even though I didn't buy it, right? It's the things that we do because it's ingrained in us. And God is showing us progressively through these dispensations. The second one is uh, conscience. He says, okay, you have a conscience, and I'm going to allow you to do certain things. They mess it up. What happens after that? Judgment a second time. And then they come to the judgment, which is the flood. And after the flood, eight people are carried through it, and he gives them the right to self-government. And what do they do? The first thing they do is they build a ziggurat, right? Going to go up to heaven. We're going to work our way to heaven. They take bricks and, uh, uh, what do you call it, asphalt, and they put it together. What is that a picture of? Works-based salvation. I'm going to work my way to God. Secondly, it's I'm going to build this higher out in this plain than the floodwaters can ever get above it. And so it's a distrust of God. That's the second point that we have of the flood. We're going to be up here, and his little flood is going to be down here, and we're going to shake our fist in his hand. That's what's happening in the world right now with global warming. We cannot trust God to keep his promise, and so we have to act. Everything in the Bible repeats itself. That which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again. What happened after this? Judgment. He split up the nations of the world, divided their tongues, Okay, they were spread out over the whole world. What are we doing right now? We're, uh, we're taking all of the languages, 
Google calls it Babel. Guess what? All of the languages. We are going to unite our languages. We are going to come together and we are going to usurp God. It is exactly what has happened in the Old Testament. Yes, go ahead. Isn't there a parallel, or wouldn't be you call it a parallel between Tower of Babel and today? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, with, That's exactly what I'm with saying. With the government. With the government saying we can't trust God. Yeah. Global well, warming. Now, Everything that has happened then is what's happening now. The languages, the judgment at this time was the languages, and now we're bringing the languages back together. And not only are we bringing the languages back together, but we are bringing the nations back together through these unhealthy immigration policies. Our president is doing it, the EU is doing it, and it is not wrong to intermarry. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not wrong, nothing wrong with me moving to Japan and having little Japanese children and them speaking Japanese forever. But when you inundate a society that God ordained to be in this place speaking this language, you are usurping what God has established. And that is exactly the opposite of what God said I'm going to do. So you can see how everything is being thrown aside all of the godliness that is in the world now is being thrown aside in order to undo what God has done. Go ahead. Aren't the governments trying to be God? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, That's God. exactly what I'm saying, is that we are saying we don't need God. Right. We are going to be God in this place. And that is ultimately going to be seen in what? The Antichrist. In the Antichrist. He will be the one to stand up and say, in the temple of God, I am God. Everything is leading in that direction right now. So I don't mean to get off on a long diversion, but I want you to understand what's going on in the world because we are right at the end of the Gentile church age. This dispensation must end before the next dispensation starts. They don't overlap as some of them did. You have the, uh, the law which was outside of the Gentiles. I showed you that. But this dispensation is going to end and God's focus is going to be back on Israel. So we have to get this right in order to understand Romans. It's very important because Romans, what is the name that people give to the book of Romans? They call it the Constitution of Christianity. It is the foundation of our Christian, and that's why God selected it to be right at the beginning of the, the epistles of Paul, is because it is the constitution of Christianity. It is saying, just like we have a constitution in America, which is supposed to be the establishment of all other things, Romans was written to establish what God was going to do, especially inserting Romans 9 through 11. All of human history is being revealed in the Bible. All of it. And we're getting a portion of it in the book of Romans. And it logically, we only got 32 minutes left, so I better get this done. Anyway, we've got um, uh, the, the time of the law, and then we come to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And off to the side, I'm going to put John. You have this presenting the one that has been promised since Genesis 3.15, uh, explicitly, implicitly since Genesis 1.1. I want you to know that. The first seven words of the Bible show us that Christ is coming. But that's completely uh, uh, irrelevant to what I want to say right now, is that the law ends on a curse. You've got to do this lest I come and strike the land with a curse. God's word doesn't end on a curse. It ends on a blessing. Okay? But until we get the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. That's a blessing. Mm -hmm. Bible doesn't end on a curse. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is establishing uh, what Christ has done in fulfillment of this time of the law. Right here. It is saying that he was born without sin. Remember Abraham in Genesis, what, what chapter was it that Genesis was told? Uh, circumcise your children, circumcise yourself. 17. 17. We got a scholar here. Genesis 17. 
He says, circumcise everyone in your house. Anyone that is not circumcised is to be cut off from the people, right? And then that's repeated under the law. It is a precept under the law. You are not required to be circumcised. That's reinserting the law. Paul condemns that. He uses, as a matter of fact, Galatians, he uses it as the bench standard, circumcision. He says, if you do this, you're a debtor to the entire law. The law is done. And he uses this because if you're not circumcised, you can't even enter into the time of the law. And so anybody that says we have to reinsert the law would have to go to Galatians and say, Paul doesn't mean what he says, but he, he means it 100%. Circumcision is out. We are not required to do that. Circumcision, I'm not going to sit down. I hope that that isn't, I don't know if the, this has been on the board. I put weight on there, and I hope it wasn't enough to make that thing. Anyway, you sorry. You got the message from uh, Well, no, I haven't. But if you have been watching on YouTube and this hasn't been on here I'm sorry I put some weight on here and it may have turned the camera anyway um, where was I um, what does LAN stand for on the top law, law. Oh, L-A-W. Yeah. Okay. sorry anyway so we have um, uh, circumcision was introduced in Genesis uh, 17 it was repeated in the law if you weren't circumcised, you couldn't be a part of Israel. That was all there was to it. And so the law didn't matter because you weren't even meeting the requirements of being a, a, a participant in the law. Okay, so we have Genesis 17. What is Genesis 17? What is circumcision? It's a picture. That's all it is. It is a picture that is given right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 17 to say, guess what? I'm going to do something, and this is a picture of it. Every single thing that we have, sermon after sermon, hundreds of hundreds of pictures in just <laughs> ten verses sometimes, is because God is trying to wake us up to see Jesus. Circumcision is cutting, I don't mean to be gross, so don't say what I'm saying, but it is cutting what? The male from the, the That's right, okay. You explained what it is. I'm saying it's cutting the male organ. That's what I wanted. Circumcision is the cutting of the male organ. Okay? That is a picture of Christ. Can we turn those off, please? That is so annoying. Um, uh, <laughs> We've got three of them going off right now. I, I didn't mean to say it's annoying, but it's hard to concentrate. Um, uh, we have um, uh, a picture being made of the coming Christ. Is that um, uh, man has sin in him. Right? I have to get my thoughts again, so I'm sorry. Man has sin in him. That came from Adam. Notice that Eve was the first one to sin, and yet Adam is the one charged because he was the federal head of humanity. Eve came out of Adam. She wasn't the one that was... She was deceived. That she was deceived, but Adam is the one that was responsible. And what this is telling us is that sin travels from father, not from mother. Okay? This is really important, and this all talking about right now before we get into Romans. Sin travels from father to who? Child. To child. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. Every person on this planet has a father. Okay? So sin has traveled to every person on this planet. And that's why David says in the 51st Psalm, surely I was sinful from my birth. I was sinful from my mother's womb. In other words, it's in us because it traveled from Adam to our father and it keeps going. It keeps going. Generation to generation. Circumcision was a picture of that sin being cut. John Why? Said man is born to sin as the sparks fly. As the spark, that's right. Okay? The this, this sin is cut in Christ. And the reason why is because he came not from Adam, 
but he came from God. I better move this over here. The Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke. He came not from Adam, but he came from God. His father is God. God has no sin. Okay? Mary is a receptacle, just as every woman on this planet, when she has a child, is a receptacle. It doesn't have to have the same blood type as her. It, she can have AIDS, and the child may not have AIDS. If she is a receptacle. Even the chromosomes show us this. God came into the womb of Mary, and she conceived a child born without sin. Okay? The sin is cut right there in Christ. That's the picture is fulfilled. This picture, when Christ was born without sin, that picture of circumcision was cut. That's why we don't need to be circumcised anymore, because it, it, it means nothing. As Paul says, circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. What matters is... Um, I, 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 I thought it was we're all the same in Christ. We are all the same in Christ. But outside of Christ, in Christ. What? New life, in New life in Christ. Thank you. New life in Christ. I, I had a, a, a brain challenge there. Okay, the sin is cut in Christ. Now, he is qualified to replace Adam. Everybody understand that. Because he has no sin of his own, he is qualified to replace Adam who had sin. He was born with, he was created without sin. But he had sin, and since then, sin has traveled all the way through humanity. Everybody's got that. Okay. Jesus Christ is now qualified to replace Adam. But... 1 Corinthians 15 says second Adam. The second Adam. They call him the second Adam. That's correct. But what is important that he needs to do? Just because he is born without sin, what does that mean? He must not sin. He must not sin under the law. He is born under the law of Israel. He's born under God's standard. All of this right here encompasses Jesus Christ. All of it. Okay? The law says don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You shall do this. All the way through here. He was born without sin. The law mandated that every single person in Israel went down to Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement and confessed their sins, implying that they had sins for the next year. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. That's Hebrews. It, the law only withheld God's wrath for another year. That's all it did. It gave them mercy until the coming of Christ. The sin is cut. Now he has to live this law. And he did perfectly. All the way through there we see the record of the, the, the gospel saying this man never committed sin. Even a Gentile stood there on the day of his crucifixion and said, I find no fault in him. Thank you. He was without sin. He died in fulfillment of this law. That law is annulled. That's all there is to it. That law is done. He died in fulfillment of it. If you want to reinsert the law, you go ahead. If you want to say, I have to tithe to a church, go ahead. You're trying to earn God's favor when that is already fulfilled in Christ. Tithing is not a New Testament precept. Eating pork is not, an, or not eating pork is not a New Testament precept. The law is done. If that cross that Jesus Christ hung on was insufficient to take care of the debt of the law, then nothing is. Everybody understand that? Yes. I'm a little slow, but I'm just trying to catch up with you, and it makes sense. I'm just trying to say, so the female egg is actually sin neutral? Because yeah. I understand. Sin doesn't travel from the mother. It yeah. only travels through the father. So he is the federal head, yeah, and he I is... Yeah, I understand that part. Right. But, but I, I didn't think because uh, I thought sin entered upon all men. But it makes sense because... Because men, all men have a father, women yeah. and men. Yeah. But Mary, a sinful person, I rejoice in God my Savior... She had sin of her own, was a vessel to carry the Christ. That's all she was. 
She was a sinful person, but sin did not transfer to him because his father was without sin. Sin travels from the father to the child, not from the mother. If, she, if that egg had been in sin, he would have been conceived also. In, in sin. sin. Yeah. And there wouldn't have been any point. God, yeah. infinitely wise, said back in Genesis 3.15, your seed to the woman, not to the man, your seed will crush the serpent's head. Because sin did not travel to him. Yes, go ahead. This is where uh, the Roman Catholic faith thinks that Mary is without sin. That's right. And what they do, the way they get around that is they say, this is sin, right? This is sin. It's a well, okay? And we're all in the well. Help, get me out of here. And Jesus is the one to get us out. Well, they say, guess what? Jesus, uh, Mary was walking along and God just had her skip over it. She never went into the sin. But if that's true, if he can do that for Mary, then what? He could have done it for all of us, and Christ's death was without, it died in vain. It was purposeless. It is heresy. Go ahead. God, my Savior. That's exactly right. I rejoice in God, my Savior. That's a heresy. I want to stay as far away from that as possible. We only got 20 minutes, so I can't answer any more questions. Please, okay? Um, uh, if you have one that bears with what we're talking about right here, go ahead. But I, I just last week I rushed. And now we're going through this, and I, I keep getting distracted, and I don't want to do that. Um, uh, we have, because um, uh, we got to get into Romans. That, but this is setting up Romans. Done. What's that? We're done with Romans for tonight. Uh, okay, well, we won't be done with it tonight. All right, so we have the law. We have him fulfilling it. He is capable. He is qualified of being our redeemer, but he is not yet our redeemer. He has to be. He has to go through the law. He has to fulfill the law in its entirety, and he did. He never sinned under the law. He was found without sin. He gave his life up. Uh, no one takes my life from me. I give it up. Uh, I lay it down of my own accord. Okay, thank you. So I, I, I need people to help me quote scripture here. He gave up his life on the cross of Calvary in fulfillment of the law. The law is nailed to the cross, according to Paul. I said earlier, Ephesians 2.14. The law is done. And from that point on, we had the book of Acts. The book of Acts is showing us that this is where I'm going to, I'm probably not going to finish this today. I don't want to sit down or the camera will move. But, okay, Acts begins in Jerusalem and Peter is the main focus of Acts 1 through 12. We went through these patterns and if you want to see them, I can maybe email them to you, but I'm not going to go through all of that again. But Peter is mentioned like 15 billion times in Acts 1 through 12. Okay, he's mentioned once in Acts 13 through 28. Paul is mentioned a couple times in Acts 1 through 12, and he's mentioned 15 billion times in <laughs> Acts 13 through 28. The transition is going from Jew to Gentile. It is going from the apostle to the Jews to the apostle to the Gentiles. Yes, Paul is a Jew. I, I want to make sure you understand that. But anyway, it, uh, Acts begins in Jerusalem. It ends in Rome. Okay, We've got a transition from the head of the religion here. No, we cannot say that Rome is the head of the religious world today. That's, that is misusing that concept. It's just showing that it went from here to here. It didn't stay here. How many churches does Jesus write to in Revelation? Seven. 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 Thank you. It is not Rome that has the banner and the authority. It is the Gentiles. Rome was a part of the Gentile world. It was the capital of the Gentile world at the time. Do, we can't use that as an excuse to say, oh, it's the Catholic Church and Peter was the first pope. Guess what? That's as nutty as a 
football bad anyway, but um, uh, we can go through that some other time. We won't go get into Peter now, but it's going from Peter to Paul. All right, it's going from Jerusalem to the Gentile area. All right, um, Paul is the main focus in 1328. Within these parallel divisions and underlying parallels are air underlying parallels which show the banner being passed, and it is necessary to show them in order to understand the significance of what is coming in Paul's epistles. I'm going to just read them to you. I'm not going to write them down. I can email them to you if you want. Peter's work began with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Paul's work began with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 13. Peter was thought to be drunk and explains himself in Acts chapter 2. Paul was thought to be mad and then explains himself in Acts 26. Paul was thought, oh, I'm sorry, Peter's first sermon begins a new section of the book in Acts 2. Paul's first sermon begins a new section of book in Acts 13. Peter has a time of work, preaching, and then persecution, 2 through 11. Um, Paul has a time of work, preaching, and then persecution, 13 through 19. All right? Um, uh, where was I? Uh, Peter has trouble uh, after healing a man lame from birth, Acts chapter 3. Paul has trouble after healing a man lame from birth, Acts chapter 14. All right? Peter says, silver and gold I have none, Acts chapter 3. Um, Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold, Acts chapter 20. Peter's shadow heals somebody, Acts chapter 5. Paul's handkerchief heals somebody, Acts chapter 19. Peter is arrested in the temple and taken to the Sanhedrin, Acts 4 and 5. Uh, Paul is arrested in the temple and taken to the Sanhedrin, Acts 21 through 23. Um, uh, Peter confronts Simon the sorcerer, Acts chapter 8. Paul confronts Elymas the sorcerer, Acts chapter 13. This is all coincidence, by the way, just so you know. Right, right. Um, Peter confesses, um, uh, con uh, I did that one. Peter performs an execution, Acts chapter 5. Paul performs an execution, Acts chapter, uh, exorcism. exorcism. I said execution, right. exorcism, <laughs> Acts chapter 16. Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, Acts chapter 9. Um, Paul raises Eutychus from the dead, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Peter lays hands for the reception of the Spirit, Acts chapter 8. Um, uh, Paul lays hands for the reception of the Spirit, Acts chapter 19. Peter is worshipped, Acts chapter 10. Paul is worshipped, Acts chapter 14. Peter is imprisoned with a miraculous escape, that's Acts chapter 12. Okay, hang on, i got to turn a page here. Um, Paul is imprisoned with a, mar a miraculous escape, Acts chapter 16. An angel stood by Peter, Acts chapter 12. Um, angel, angel stood by Paul, Acts chapter 27. Um, Peter called by vision to preach in Caesarea, uh, Acts chapter 10. Paul called by a vision to preach in Macedonia. All right, that's uh, chapter 16. Peter's success brings Jewish jealousy, Acts chapter 5. Paul's success brings Jewish jealousy, Acts chapter 13 and everywhere else. Peter heals the bedridden Aeneas, Acts chapter 9. Paul heals the bedridden father of Publius, Acts 28. Peter ordains deacons, Acts chapter 6. Paul ordains elders, Acts chapter 14. Peter is filled with the Spirit, Acts chapter 4. Paul is filled with the Spirit, Acts chapter 13. And I say filled with the Spirit in quotes. There are others, but that's good enough. Not accident. God is showing us that the transfer. The, the transfer from Peter to Paul. Peter was given the keys to establish the legitimacy of Christ's resurrection. We saw that last week in the baptisms, the three baptisms, which I will go through for you guys again sometime with much better notes than I have here. But guess what? The mantle is being passed. It's going to Paul. Peter even acknowledges so Acts that. Acts is the bridge, really. Acts is the bridge. That's why Acts is such a key book, and that's why I started 
our first Bible study in this church was with the book of Acts is because it is a bridge to understand what is going on in the Bible. Okay, so we have this. We have this. And now we come to... We're on the same line here. I'm just putting it down here because it's gotten too long. we are come to Romans. And then we go to um, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And then we go to Galatians and then Ephesians and then um, uh, Philippians and then Colossians. And then we go to... Uh, Thessalonians. Thessalonians 1 and 2 Thessalonians and then we have um, one, hang on 1 and 2 Thessalonians and then we have Timothy and then Titus and uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and then Titus okay and then you have Philemon you've got this sudden change from everything being Jewish Shem everything is Shem right here all of this everything right up until this point and all of a sudden the direction goes away from Shem and it goes to Japheth the Gentiles, the Gentile world specifically that Paul evangelizes are the sons of Japheth. And they carry this banner here. This is the sons of Japheth. And guess what? The sons of Japheth. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't great Christians in Africa, and it doesn't mean that there aren't great Christians in China. There are people that do great things. But the message of Christ has been almost solely led by the sons of Japheth the Germans, and then the English, and you've got the, the, the what do you call it, the, the printing, or Gutenberg comes up with printing, and the Bible gets put into the Geneva Bible. The first time ever with the uh, chapter and verse divisions in it was uh, the Geneva Bible of 1560, and then you get the King Jimmy Bible of uh, 1611, and then you get critical scholarship of the Bible all the way up until modern days, and people doing research on it, and guess what? It's 99.999% of Japheth, and at the same time as this, guess who the world is focused on? Japheth. All of the major powers of the world have focused in within Japheth. And guess who has been the one that has been basically a servant to Japheth? The sons of Canaan. The sons of Ham. And because you look at how the world, they're exploited. They say, well, you've exploited us. It's because you've done nothing with yourselves. The wealthiest uh, part of the entire planet is Africa then they never did anything with it. That's not to say that they're bad people, but it's fulfillment of this, okay? The Chinese were under the British, right? Malaya and the, the uh, Indies were under the Dutch and they were under the Brits because they are part of Ham and because they were servant to that. The entire structure of the planet and all that's happened in redemptive history has fulfilled, been fulfilled in Noah's blessing on his sons. That does not mean, and I will say it again, because I'm married to a, a daughter of Ham. They are not bad people. There's nothing wrong with them inherently. They are not initiators. Japheth are initiators. Okay, does everybody understand that? I'm not trying to be in any way racist. I'm not trying to say anything about that. I'm saying that it is fulfillment of God's of what he said would happen. And we got that one black preacher up in New York that will stand up and say, I, 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 I'm, I have never said this, but he said, the black people are not capable of running themselves. And he says it openly because he looks at history and he understands this. Okay? I'm not saying that I agree with that, but look at history and you decide. All I'm saying is that Jesus. Okay. And he, and he is the one that says it. And he, why does he say it? Because he reads the Bible. Okay, I'm just saying what he said. Okay, having said that, and without trying to in any way be racist, because I have not a racist bone in my body, Jim knows that, we're, and Tom, we're in the projects every single week, every Saturday of our life. We love those people, and we minister to them. But it is Japheth who has carried it. He is in the tents of Shem. 
Why? Because after the, this Gentile-led church age, who does the focus go back to? Hebrews, James, um, after James is 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, and then it goes to uh, Jude, oh, J John. Jude, and then John, and John, and John, and then you have Revelation, and Jude is here. I'm sorry, that one, I, I said Jude and then John, but it goes John, 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 and then Jude. But this is also seen in the Gospels, because this one, as I said last week, Matthew is directed to Shem, the king of Israel, and when you talk to somebody that's a son of Shem, give him Matthew. That's the one you want to carry in your pocket if you're going to go evangelizing Jews. The next one is to Mark. The sons of Ham is who it's directed to. The servant. He will be his servant. Remember that? Okay, it's directed to them. And they will follow Mark. It's very quick paced. It's, it's without a lot of detail. It is something that the people of Ham will understand. And then from there you've got Luke. Very detailed, very doctoral. Guess what? It's written to the sons of Japheth. It is higher Greek. It's something that the sons of Japheth will understand. The, the prophecy of Noah is seen in those particular books. And then you come to John, which is completely different than the others. It's not a synoptic, and it is written to everybody. If you want to evangelize people in Africa, give them John. If you want to evangelize people over in uh, 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 where uh, Russia, give them John. If you don't have a, a copy of uh, uh, Luke for the Russians, give them John. Okay, because everybody understands John. It's the Son of God being presented. So you've got this prophecy showing everything that's going on. Acts is the key to understanding the break. It's the key to understanding that something new is coming, and it comes right here in in Paul. <coughs> And the first book is Romans. And it is absolutely critical to understand Romans, to understand all the rest of this that's coming. Because Romans 9-11 is... And guess who Paul writes to? It's, it's so hard sometimes to understand. He's talking to the Jews, and then the next sentence he's writing to the Gentiles in the book of Romans. And you have to understand that he is giving you a snapshot of what both Jew and Gentile are required to do. Remember, he says, who are you, O Jew, to do this? And he, he's talking to them. Next thing you know, he's talking to the Gentiles. He's merging the two together so that you understand that God has done away with this. This is done, and you're all one in Christ Jesus, not meaning there aren't Jews and there aren't Gentiles. There are Jews and Gentiles. You're all one in Christ. You are without distinction, but you have differences. Male and female, you're without distinction in Christ, but you have differences, unless you're Barack Obama, okay? So, I, I mean, it's just unreal. Everything that we can do in this world to destroy the Bible in this government right now and in the other governments of Europe, they're doing. We want to get rid of gender distinctions. We want to get rid of, of uh, morality. We want to get rid of the society and bring in people from other parts of the world. It is an attack against God, yes. It's an attack against God. But here we have the tent. We have the enclosure of the tent, and then we have it going back to Shem, right here. And then, as I said, you've got a little bit of it kind of hinting what's coming again, because John is right there at the end of this time. This is actually, if you read these books properly, you will understand that they are actually written to the end-time Jews. If you look at these books with that in mind, as you're reading Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, you will understand because he says, well, the temple is still standing. Guess what? It's going to be standing again when Hebrews takes effect. Okay? All of these are pertaining to the end times Jews. It doesn't mean that they're not relevant all the time, but they are not written to the Gentile-led church. If we use these for our doctrine, R.C. Sproul does all the time, especially with Peter, of course you've got convoluted doctrine because 
They're not writing to us. Who is Peter writing to at the beginning of his letter? The dispersion. The twelve tribes of the dispersion. Same thing with James. They say, I'm writing to the people of the dispersion and to the twelve tribes scattered abroad and all this. This is written to who? Is Hebrews written to the Gentiles? Hebrews, right? It's written to the Hebrews. It is showing us the ending of the time in the tent. Okay? Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, all written to the Jews of the dispersion or the Jews of the end times. And then John comes in. Love, this and that, and all the things that seem so, like, almost airy when you're reading 1 John. You've got light, you've got love, you've got all these things that he uses, and he keeps repeating himself, and you think, why is he doing that? Because he's saying, get ready, folks. Something really big is coming here. There's one more warning at the end of Jude, which is almost a repeat of Peter's words. If you compare Peter and Jude side by side, oh gosh, we're going to be done just in time. If you compare Peter and Jude side by side, he says exactly the same things. It's almost like he took portions of it, cut it out, and made his epistle. And what was he going to do at the beginning of his epistle? Oh, write about the common salvation. The common salvation. But I need to write to you to watch end time stuff right there in Jude. Get ready. End times are coming, and then Revelation. And what do we have in Revelation? We've got Revelation 22, chapters of beauty, marvel. Chapter 1, who is it written to? Church. Chapter 2 is written to who? Church. Chapter 3 is written to who? Okay, and then chapter 4, verse 1, it says, come up here. And all of a sudden, from chapter 4, 1 until 19, 10, you don't hear anything about the church. Well, you do in 19, 10 when we come back with Christ. But all the way through here, it is directed to a world which has kicked God out, which has gone back to the Tower of Babel. It's gone back to, you know, the immorality and wickedness of, of, Exodus, of Genesis 6. All of human history and all of the wickedness that has been on display in little pockets around the world, even in Israel, is all revealed in these chapters. God's anger at it being poured out, and then Christ comes back to save Israel. Why? Because he said in the Gospels, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. But I tell you, until you say, Baruch HaPah Bashem Adonai, I ain't coming back. I got, I got my people up here with me right now. Oh, I can't wait. But there is a time where they're going to realize all of these prophecies have been true. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. They're going to call on Jesus as Lord, and he's going to come back, and he's going to rescue them. And there will be a thousand years on this earth of the millennium. And that will also be part of Shem because Jesus is sitting on his throne. And guess what? He's the greatest son of Shem. So you can see how the tense of Japheth, that one verse that seems to be so obscure, and I've never heard anybody ever comment on it. Can't find any commentary on the tense of Shem other than I don't know what. But there it is. The Bible is laying out all of redemptive history. Acts is the key to understanding the break between the two and the starting of this. Romans is the beginning of this, and it will last until we get to Philemon. Does everybody see that? It is marvelous. I didn't mean to say earlier, I said please turn those off. I didn't mean to say that, but I, it's very hard to concentrate, especially in a sermon, when you're, you know, you've got something going on in your mind and a cell phone rings off. So I hope I wasn't too whatever about that. But anyway. They were, they were it, they what? They repented. Okay, well, anyway, yeah, I, I need to put up a sign in here to say, please turn off cell phones, or remember to say, I always forget, and then one goes off, and it just, it, it, it really is hard. It's very hard to concentrate with them, but, you know, this took just enough time, and uh, we can actually get into the notes uh, of Romans 1, 1 next week, but I hope everybody was blessed by this, and I, we, we cut out a lot because this could actually be like a five-hour study, just this, but it, this gives you a snapshot. 
and you know what I suggest? Oh, I'm going to leave that until Sunday. If, yes. If you would um, uh, just post the notes that you were read, reading off with all the similarities between. No, they're all in Romans one one. I know, but not consolidated in one page. Uh, they are. They're on wonderfulone.com. As soon as the day that I finish the commentary, I put it on oh, wonderfulone.com. Okay. So it's all there. But anyway, none of this is, but all of the, the similarities here and all of the Romans notes, they're all on wonderfulone.com. You can follow along with it there, or you can make new notes as you go. Anyway, um, I've got to sit down. Um, which heading? Uh, uh, it, it's this book study, that Romans book study, or Ephesians book study, whatever. Anyway, but I, it's actually a lot nicer to do a, 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 a Bible class on a book study rather than reading a book study because... He, if you do a Bible class, you get people helping me quote things that I forget, and you know. So I, I enjoy the Bible class more. But the book studies are there in case somebody wants to refer to them. Anyway, uh, we need to close in prayer. And um, Jim, you're leaving on a jet plane, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. So I'm yeah, going to let you yes. close us in prayer today. <laughs> Lord God, thank you so much for your word uh, that you've uh, given us after uh, Jesus' work on earth to uh, show us what leads up to that and what it did. What it's leading to, and uh, Lord, it's perfect. And every time we dig a little bit deeper, it's amazing how uh, infinitely intricate it is. We just um, ask you to bless Charlie with his um, desire to uh, delve into this and uh, make it understandable to us. And Lord, um, I know that a lot of folks here have um, things that are haunting them, or giving them problems, Lord, and just uh, may uh, you provide the comfort and. Uh, Feeling that only you can do. We know that your will is good. It's better than anything that we can dream of. Lord, um, we know that uh, you, uh, you love us only because you gave us your only son. Mm. And you the cross for us. Give us that simple path to salvation. Everything else is just uh, static compared to that, Lord. It's just uh, amazing. But Lord, we thank you for again, this, this fellowship tonight, that word that we've uh, looked at. And um, just uh, the fact that we can do this in this country, despite things that people throw at us. But Lord, uh, you're perfect. You're the answer. And uh, just uh, pray all this to your son. It's only named Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, two things before you get up. We have a cake in back. Before anybody cuts it, please look at it. And then please don't leave without taking a piece if you have to go. If you don't have to go, have a piece of cake. And secondly... Um, don't leave without some mangoes, because Hitiko brought, she, little Hitiko carried in more mangoes than she weighs, and then these over here for Tom. So, that's all I have to say, and uh, let me turn this off. And we'll